0: Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO, and co-founder of y Scouts, Max Hansen.
1: Welcome back to episode 54, of the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Scouts, where we hire purpose-aligned and performance-proven leaders. Today, our guest is Vinay Tolia. Vinay was born and raised in Michigan. Vinay attended the University of Michigan, where he earned a BA in economics and a BSc in industrial and operations engineering. He previously held roles with investment banker firms, Peter J. Solomon Company, and hedge fund Midtown Capital before co-founding Bengal Capital Trading LLC, a Chicago-based hedge fund. While at Bengal Capital, Vinay was an early investor in various U.S. multi-state operators, MSOs, as well as other ancillary cannabis companies. In 2018, he left Bengal to become the CEO of the Flower Corporation. Mr. Tolia led the company's GOP Public fundraise as well as the subsequent financings, as well as the acquisition of Halogen Holdings, which gave Flower a global footprint. Vinay served as a member of the board of the directors of Emmerman Angels, a cancer support organization, and is keenly interested in education reform and social justice. Vinay, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast.
0: Thank you, Max. Great to be
1: here. Reading through your, uh, your bio... Uh, let's talk about what led you into the cannabis industry. I think um, it looks like it's probably a, there's uh some stuff behind that the behind the scenes that will be interesting to talk about. But just kind of let us let us know and our audience know kind of what led you to the cannabis industry.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of a it was very fortuitous. Um, I had a finance background, and and even how I got into finance was kind of a roundabout way. I was a, an engineer in college, but um, I started a a hedge fund with my, I have an identical twin brother. The two of us started a fund in Chicago in 2006. And in around 2013, when they changed the laws in Illinois to allow for medicinal cannabis, a friend of mine said, hey, I'm applying for a license. And I didn't know the first thing about cannabis. I didn't know that they changed the laws. But I said, okay, this is interesting. And started talking to a couple of people who were applying for licenses and met a team that we really liked. And wrote them a check, and they ended up being um, Green Thumb, one of the one of the large MSOs. So, known those guys from the very beginning, uh, and just started getting more and more involved in cannabis and getting more interested in it. We thought, hey, this is kind of a, a massive secular opportunity, and also a something that spoke to me from a uh, a social justice point of view. I mean, I. Not to not to get too off off tangent here, but um, you know the 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 fact that so many of these communities have been decimated by nonviolent drug offenses. Um, I mean, the system just doesn't work. These kids don't have a chance when they're when they're living in these broken communities. So anyway, so I, I thought that, and I still view that this industry is a way to, um, you know provide for social good as well as, let, let's be honest, uh, you know, it's an exciting industry and there's, it's a massive industry. So started getting involved there. We started investing in a bunch of other cannabis companies and specifically learned just how difficult the plant is to grow well at scale. I mean, like most people who don't know anything about cannabis, when I first got in, I thought, oh, how hard can this be? It's a, it's a plant. Like you just hire someone from California or Colorado and you're good to go. Well, no, it's much more difficult than that. And especially when you're talking about a highly regulated market like that in Canada. So we met a team in Canada. We really, uh, the, the kind of the technical chops there were, were what sold us. And we started Flower. And then uh, in 2018, I moved up to Canada to, uh, to lead Flower. And that's, what, that's my kind of cannabis journey.
1: Got it. Let's get into, you know, I, I think I've read a little bit about you, how mm-hmm. you strategically and uh, you've addressed uh, growing higher quality uh, cannabis. Uh, you know, I think the way you've guys looked at a flower is also similar to probably your philosophy and, and how you think it can be done at scale. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, you know, some of the the, the I call them techniques, but they're uh, just ways that you've overcome to to become a high quality grower.
0: Yeah, sure. So
1: one thing, and if you've seen this
0: with the, with the Canadian players, you've seen a lot, a lot of the guys who are shutting down these greenhouses and massive facilities that they built. If you recall, just a few years ago, all these companies were, when we were in the middle of this kind of capital markets boom, were all getting rewarded for building capacity. So all you have to do is say, "Hey, I'm building a million square foot greenhouse," and your market cap goes up by X five hundred million dollars, billion dollars, whatever it is, um, without really paying attention to the consumer. Which is, you know, uh, do people want this product? And from, if you know anything about cannabis and you know anything about the black market, the you know the the legacy market, you know that the good stuff is always really, really hard to find. And there's never enough of it. And there's, there's always lots of cheap, low quality product and there's never enough of the good stuff. And, and people want the good stuff. So um, our whole philosophy was that building these, just, you know, these massively large footprints, you're not gonna be able to produce the, the high quality product that people, Remember, there there is a huge illicit market out there. So you need to convince people to change their habits for, you know, these these are people who've been buying illegally for years. You They're not just going to switch to their dispensary just because it's legal. You, they need a reason to come over. Um, and if you're going to give them a subpar product, they're not coming over. So our whole philosophy has been you need to give them a product that is at least competitive uh, with what they're getting on the high end from the illicit market and so what the only way you can do that is by small r- relatively small highly controlled grow rooms because remember the, the the chemical composition of the plant is a kind of a function of the environment in which it's grown so, um, if you can't control all the, the, the nuances of temperature, humidity, airflow, all the other things, irrigation, um, you're gonna come out with inconsistent product and you're gonna come out with product that, um, that, that people aren't gonna want. So that's, that's in a nutshell, that's, that's our strategy of just, uh, the, the highly engineered self-contained grow room so that if, there, if there's an issue in any grow room, it's, it's contained to that room. It doesn't spread throughout the facility. And in Canada, you have to, um, you have to meet what's called a microbial limit. So we, we test the plants for mold and yeast and, and other things. And if you don't meet that limit, um, you have to treat the plant. So what that is, is most people use a process called gamma radiation. That's where they take the plant, they blast it with gamma rays. And while it kills the mold and yeast, that stuff is still dead on the plant and it alters the terpenes. So it alters the flavor of the plant. So, you know, what you end up getting is a plant that smells like hay. Um, and so you need to be able to grow the product in a, in an environment that's clean enough where you can pass testing without needing to irradiate.
1: I, I love that. We're ta- most people never talk about the illicit market having an effect on, uh, on the, the cannabis market. So I love what we just, we're hitting it, uh, straight, straight ahead. Cause I, I do think, and, and obviously you know that it does, um, tell me about like, let's go back to your background. How did your background lead you into the cannabis market? And, and what is the, your prior experience? How has it given you an advantage in looking at the cannabis industry and finding great companies like Green Thumb I'm a little biased because we've worked with green thumb in the past, but they've done That's an good. awesome job and, and they're continuing Ben's do, doing a great job over there. But tell me about like your background. And, I mean, you really, there, a lot of these roles, they, they, you know, I just spout them out in your, in your uh, bio, but I mean, you've been a lot of places and seen a lot of different companies and industries. So how, how does, how does it all play into really wrapping your arms around this cannabis industry?
0: So I, I think that the, I get, I, when i when I look back outside of cannabis, when I just look back at where I've had success, it's really kind of taking something taking a little tidbit of information from one place and and seeing if it translates into another like you know something I learned in in as an engineer and and translating it into um something in finance so I've had somewhat of a kind of a meandering career so it's not like I can I can sit here and say it's been my dream to be in cannabis from day one. Uh, it just it just all the the stars kind of aligned. I think you just you got to, you have to be open to learning and you have to be curious. And I mean, this is a brand new industry that I was learning about uh, back you know eight years ago, and then I got passionate about it after I learned. So I think you have to be you have to be open to that. At least that's what's that's what's helped me. And then um, I will say that not having a specific again it goes to flexibility not having a specific point of view on how things should run in cannabis can be i i personally feel it can be helpful because this industry doesn't has never existed everyone and you, and you probably know this keenly given that you work on the recruiting side um everyone wants to put this industry in a box of wherever they came from, right? So pharma guys want to say, this is like pharma, this is how we want to do it. CPG guys say, this is how we want to do it. Ag guys say, this is how we want to do it. When Really, it's, it's kind of this amalgamation of all these things. There is, no, there is no playbook for this. We are figuring this out as we go. So um, I, I guess me coming into the cannabis space and just being like, hey, I don't know. I, I've never been bought, worked in any of these industries. I, I think in a way it's, it's been able to help me because I haven't had that dogma. It's also been in some ways it's, it's, it's hurt me, but in some ways it's helped because I haven't had that dogma that like, this is the way that it has to be run.
1: Oh, I, I love that you point that out and uh, quite honest, th- this is about you, but I will share a little bit about uh, you know, our journey in cannabis we kind of accidentally fell into it. We were really good at hiring leaders and we worked in a lot of different industries. And if there's one industry that needed really good leaders, uh, obviously it's cannabis still to this day, you know, because you had the, the, the folks raising money, the folks that were lucky enough to get, have the foresight to go get licenses. And then all of a sudden when they went to go scale it, we needed real leaders from other industries. And you're right. Everybody had their story of how they could, because they could sell or they could grow some other plant they could they could grow this at scale and uh you know i think everybody is finding out it's its own beast uh when i think about it i always compare it to about it's like growing wine i mean you, you can't just say this works in every in every environment you know what i mean you have to have the person that knows how to grow it that really loves to grow it that knows mm-hmm. what it smells and tastes like and, and so it's really uh, it's interesting to see all these different folks try to compare, you know, because I can do this in one industry that I can scale in another. And while some of that's true, I think a lot of people are finding exactly what you're talking about, where there's a, there's a lot more, uh, art and science specific to this industry. And, uh, it's really kind of taken shape of its own. So, well, let's, the other thing I want to talk with you about is, um, it, you know, just being involved it, it, with flower and in, in being involved in other industries it looked like you guys started to do some international stuff. I'll let you talk about the specifics of that because some of the stuff that I was reading um, it might have been a little bit dated and so i so I, I just want to find out what you know where you're at and and find, just kind of get pick your brain a little bit. What do you see in the international markets? I'm super fascinated about how this goes internationally? Because I think we've seen how it's going to play out domestically. There's a lot that we haven't seen, but I think we're starting to see, you know, what's going to happen and what's not. And we have a better idea than we did, you know, a couple of years ago. But how are you Mm. seeing this on an international basis? Like where, where are some really big opportunities where, where, you know, should uh, companies be really looking at and where should we as consumers be looking at uh, overseas as as big markets that are going to lead the rest of the world in this cannabis industry?
0: Sure. No, it's a it's a it's a great question, and you know, part of the allure for moving to Canada, which is obviously a much smaller, smaller market in the U.S., is this idea that it's federally legal, and that is going to be the the global kind of jump-off point. Um, and we've seen that the Canadian companies have been the ones who have, I will say, uh, taken that global leadership role. Um, I'll, I'll I will caution this with, I wish I had a better answer, but it's constantly changing. And I know this is, I don't want this to sound like a cop-out answer, but it's so highly dependent on the regs. Um, And when I say that, I mean, you know, if you look at the US, we have essentially 50 different countries. Every single state has its own set of regs that are, in some cases, wildly different. You know, if you, you can know everything there is to know about as particular about Washington, I'm just making up names here, but that does not mean that you'll you know how to make or you know how to how to grow and make money in Illinois or Pennsylvania. Like they're completely different, and how how the regs evolve on a federal level in the U.S. I believe is going to be the key factor in determining who the the winners or losers will be. Same thing goes abroad now. So the the, the big markets are clearly Europe. Um, I think it's easy to, if, if you had to handicap, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna be the leader in Europe. I still think it's Germany, even though it's taking you know, longer than, than people uh, would have hoped. But I still think it's Germany. I think France, while they're, they're somewhat behind, I think that could be, end up being the, the largest market in Europe just because of, uh, you know, kind of how open they are to, and, and how much they use the product on a rec basis. Um another thing that that's very different in and I, I know I listened to the your podcast with uh, with your last guest and she made this point she's spot on. People need to realize that in Europe, uh wreck is a dirty word. Like they don't they don't like to talk about wreck. It's it is medicinal all the way. And um they are far from they're far I, I think they're maybe Portugal could be a, a place that that I would, you know, could potentially go wreck, but other than that, I mean, they are, they are far from, um, from, from looking at this in the same lens as we look at it here in North America. So uh, you have to look at it totally different. You have to look at, um, you know, you, you have to look at medical efficacy. You have to look at um, tying specific strains to indications. There was, a, there was some news that came out uh, last week or two weeks ago that Tilray has the first medically... Authorized product in the EU. That was big news. We're also in Portugal, which I can, I can talk about. Um, but that is big, big news. I think that is to have a medically authorized product within the EU is, is really big news. What that does is that opens the door to making claims about, um, you know, ab- 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 about, now it's not full blown pharma. You can't make full blown, blown pharma claims, but it opens the door to being able to say like, hey, this can help with XYZ um, treatment. This can help with XYZ indication. And that that's a really, really big deal. So um, I think that things in to kind of to, to answer your question, I think the the you're seeing a lot of stuff happening in Israel. Um, I still think Europe's going to be by far the biggest market. The. Covid has kind of pushed things back, maybe, uh, because I, you know, the, your, the EU early last year announced that they wanted to harmonize the cannabis laws between the member states. I think that's kind of hit a hit a wall given everything that's been happening with Covid. But I do think that in the next couple of years that they 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 will um, they will harmonize their their cannabis laws and at least make things medically available in most places. And We've seen how this goes; it goes medical. People realize, hey, the world is not going to come to an end when there's medical cannabis, and so then all of a sudden you start seeing it help people you know, and you know attitudes change, and then from there, it at least that's how it's worked in North America. I I don't see why it would be any different in in Europe, where things will open up on the rec side after uh, it becomes more widely available medically.
1: Sure. What about uh, Australia? I know you have a, probably a little bit of insights into the Australian market. And I, I, you know, haven't uh, spent a lot of time focusing on the Australian market. I do know uh, I am a fan of the typical, like how the uh, typical Australian consumer thinks from like thinking about purpose-driven brands and just how they think things through. But uh, it's it, from when I read, you have a little insight in, in Australia. What what what's that country? How they how are they looking at things?
0: So Aussies love cannabis. <laughs> There's no question about it. If you look at all, all the, all, all the um, the studies that show, you know, kind of percentage of population that is frequent cannabis users, Aussies are right there near the top. The, their medical market is, is, is still, it's, it's growing a lot, actually. It's a, but it's a, it's still a very small market. They don't, um, it's much more oil based. So a lot less dried flour and much more oil. So, in in the in the cases where you have um, where the where it's much more oil based, it's it's much more focused on. So you so, okay. So just to back up, so you have you have you have what what we you know call in the industry kind of masqueraders. These are people who um, who get a medical card, but you know they're they're really kind of rec users who are who are masquerading as um, you know medical users you don't have that in an oil-based market because those folks who are who are who want the product are just going to go to the illicit market they're not just going to they're it's not a it's not a a substitute to to um smoking dried flour then is you know putting a couple of drops of uh, tincture under your tongue so you have much less of that in the aussie market uh i i do think that the aussie market is is like canada was uh four or five years ago where it was it was a medical market growing strong and um, they were, you know, they, they, there was a government last year that didn't win the election, but that was very, very pro-cannabis. I I just think that given the mindset of the, the Australian people and again, all these countries, they all need tax revenue. So I I think when people realize that it's a, and like, you know, it's, it's a massive boon to tax revenue. And just given the, the, the mindset of the Australian population, I think it's, only a matter of time before things become much more uh, widely available there and potentially going adult use at some point. I don't know
1: when. Got it. Got it. No, that's, it's interesting. Well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I want to learn, dig a little bit deeper. Uh, So looking back, um, you got, you you have your degrees from university of Michigan, which obviously great alma mater. Um, Were you, were you, did you think that you're going to become an engineer with the the industrial and operations engineering degree, or what? What were you thinking in college, and then how did that take twists and turns into uh, into the worlds that you ended up uh, working in?
0: I I honestly had no idea what I wanted to do when I was in college, and I decided to take become an engineer because uh, I got some advice from family members that you know and it's, it's easy to get it. It's easy to get a job as an engineer. So, okay, fine. Um, I was absolutely miserable at first. And I worked a summer as an engineer at a, at a a plant that makes engines for trucks and boats. Um, I realized it wasn't for me. So I I realized I had to do something with, with something else. This was right in the internet craze. This was like 99, 2000. And so like, like many people, um, I, you know, I, I think I, I saved like 1500 bucks from from that summer. And I just started because living at home. And uh, I just started trading stocks online because this is back when you just you buy something, it goes up 3% a day. And then uh, so my brother and I were just doing this. And one day we'd figure out the magic of options. So instead of buying like, you know, a thousand dollars worth of Cisco, you can buy twenty thousand dollars with cisco and so when it goes up you start making a lot more money and so you know it turned fifteen hundred bucks into thirty grand in a month i thought i was the king of the world i thought hey why does anyone work i'm going to be a millionaire by the end of the year and you probably know how this story ends which is the market fell off it felt you know fell out, the bottom fell out and i lost everything but i got really interested in derivatives Then and i'm like okay these these options are pretty interesting. And, um, there was a, there was a company that was, uh, one of their, one of their folks was, uh, recruiting using, using ex alum, Michigan grad recruiting for a, it was a derivatives trading firm in Chicago. And I happened to get an internship there. Um, and that's, that's what kind of sparked my interest in, in derivatives. And that's, uh, uh that's what, that's what, when we founded the hedge fund, that's what it was
1: based on. Got it. And you, uh you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that wasn't, that won't be on the air, but you have an uh, exact twin brother? Identical twin brother. Identical twin yep. brother. Okay. And he does, he, is he in the same type of business? Yeah. Obviously he was trading with you. He was, so he
0: also was involved in the early days in, uh, in investing in cannabis. And then when I, I left the fund to to move to Canada to join flower, he Stayed in the U.S. He's he's out in L.A. and he manages all of our U.S. cannabis investments. So, because we were because we were listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, we can't we being Flower, could we can't touch anything in the U.S. So my brother is here uh, here being U.S. just managing all of our our U.S. stuff. So like it's kind of I had Canada global. He
1: was focused just on the U.S. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Interesting. What would you say, uh, what would you say your biggest professional accomplishment is to date?
0: Ooh. Um, biggest, I mean, I, I, I'll, I had to, to take a company public um, and to run, you know, to be in the, to do the, to do what we did at flower as far as, as fundraising. And, you know, listen, we made, we, there was lots of growing pains, but like, I now have a newfound respect for that whole process. I mean, the amount of the lift that goes into that is incredible. And the amount of bandwidth that, that takes up is tremendous, especially when you're a small company. Um, you know, we were not a huge company that was already flowing cash and then going public. So we were trying to do this all on the fly. Uh, so I would say, you know, taking a company public is, a, a, is probably my biggest um biggest accomplishment. And second behind that is just the longevity we had at Bengal and um with with the fund. I mean you just to stay in the game for 12 years takes a lot, takes a lot out of you, but it's also uh you know that's that's as you know a big part is a big part of success is just is staying in the game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What about uh what about your biggest challenges and what what did they teach you ultimately?
0: Um, I'll start with Bengal. So we there was, there was a couple of times where we almost went belly up. Um, and one of the times, we, it was 2011. And I think what it taught us is the value of good partners. I mean, we had uh, our, our main investors was a, a family office out of New York um, that had become essentially like family to us now and just how supportive they were throughout the whole thing. And, you know, people I've seen this a bunch of times where people assume money's money and they just, wherever they can get it, they want it. They just want to take it. And it's not, it's not the having supportive partners makes all the difference. Um, so that's, that was, that was one of them. And then another thing, I guess I've, I've, I have i i i will tell you the last three years I've learned so much basically about myself, about, um, When you're trading, when you're in the finance world, you don't have to worry about many of the soft skills, right? I mean, if you, you can just be in your own little world, if you're making money, nobody's mad at you. It's it's fine. But when you are now managing lots of people, it's not about that. It's not just, it's not about, um, it's not about, frankly, it's not even about how technically competent you are. It's, it's about... It's about being able to effectively manage your own emotions and and communicate and get along with other people. Um, so, like that, that's been my my biggest learning has been really how to manage my own my own kind of uh, my own mental well being and and how important that is. Finding that is uh, it, and you clearly know this as someone who's recruiting leaders. Um, when, when we would go in and try to recruit, uh, C-level or even, you know, high level staff, that was the one thing we looked for way more than, you know, how, how smart is this person and how much they know is, you know, can they call it what you want, you know, cultural fit, whatever, but it's like, can they get along with others and, and how self aware are they? Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's my biggest
1: learning of the last few years. Got it. And speaking of uh, mental and physical well-being, what, what do you do? And I always kind of ask guests this at some point. Uh, what are the things that you do, maybe ritual, uh, rituals you have, um, things you might do in the morning uh, to, to kind of stay, keep you sharp, keep you physically and uh, mentally uh, feeling good?
0: One of the things that that I... I took for granted uh and it really came back to bite me the last couple of years is just is burnout i was i was burnt out i was not sleeping well i was not i was not taking uh, you know time to, to 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 kind of reset uh and that was just because we were just we were just running so fast and we just had one thing to this we went from uh you know kind of one thing to the next the i i have been i've been trying i've it hasn't been long enough to, for me to say uh, it's been life-changing for the, I, I have been trying to get up really early every morning. Um, and so try to get up around 5.30, 6 every morning and just take an hour to myself to, you know, meditate, to try to get a workout in, try to get a sweat. And uh, I've only been doing that for the last few weeks and I've, it's been fantastic, but Come talk to me in six months max, and I'll, I'll tell you if it's uh, <laughs> if, it, if it's been life changing.
1: No, I love it. I, I I don't think there's been one guest that hasn't talked about how important it is to kind of take that when you get up in the morning, just to take some time for yourself. Uh, I try to do the same thing. I work out every morning as well. I get up at about five and, and I work out and I try not to, uh, and I think this is what you're alluding to. I try not to dig into my email between like kind of that, you know, the first, at least especially the first, like 15, 20 minutes. It's just, I want to just find my, uh, you know, find my balance and, and try to get to the gym. And once I've, once I got my heart rate up, then I'm fine. I can dig in and listen to some music. I can start digging into some emails, but, um, uh, no, I think, um, I think you're, you're you know, you're, you're definitely on the right track. You look like you're in very good shape. So I think you're, you're, uh, you're a lot, you're probably further ahead than most people.
0: <laughs> I, I think one of the, uh, one of the things and I mean is as a leader, you taking care of yourself is, I mean, you're not, you're of no use to other people if you're, if you're a mess yourself, right? So like I would, and I had a hard time with this. I would always, I would keep, I did the exact opposite what you're talking about. I would I would sit there and check messages in the middle of the night, and you know we have stuff in Australia, stuff in Europe. I mean, the sun never ends. On like, there's always a fire somewhere, and for me, not uh, you know trying to fight those all the time and not taking that time to at least like, get get myself in a decent position. And while I thought I was, I was just kind of I had to do it because like, the team needed me. And in fact, I was potentially even hurting the team. Like you know, I'm not I'm not as effective if I'm not in a good headspace.
1: I, I love, thank you for being so uh, vulnerable and uh, humble because I know you've accomplished a lot and now you're kind of digging into just areas that you've, you've identified that you could be better opportunities and, and I'm sure you've, you know, made some adjustments. How about anybody? Uh, what's the biggest person uh, or it, the person that's had the greatest impact on your life and, and, and who are they and, and, and why? Ooh. Um
0: I, I guess I would mean, I would have to say my parents. I mean, I, I, I was incredibly lucky Uh, growing up. We just, I mean, there was a, I, we, I just always felt supported. I always felt supported and we always had the chance to do everything uh, that we wanted to do for sure. They weren't like, you know, it wasn't a perfect childhood, but it was pretty damn close to it. Um, And then And then my brother, I mean, I have, uh, people always ask me, hey, what is it like to have a a twin brother? And I always answer, like, I don't know what it's like not to have one. So like, I can't really, I can't answer, but you know, I, I always had this person who was right there, wherever we were, whatever we were doing, I had this person who was like, you know, my, essentially my carbon copy. Um, So I would say a lot of the people who've had the biggest influence are no doubt my, you know, my, my, my parents and my brother.
1: Got it. And is it, uh, just you two, you and your brother and the family, or do you have any other brothers and sisters?
0: No, it just, my parents had us and they said, we're never doing this again.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, t- tell me a little bit about like, what would you, um, what would you attribute your success to? I know this is hard for some leaders to answer, uh, cause you're a very humble person, but what would you attribute your success to in, in uh you know just what has gotten you to where you are today and that you're confident is going to continue you know pushing you forward uh, as you uh, look to the future
0: you know this this is gonna sound very cliche, but you know you kind of mentioned this vulnerability and i, I just I find that when when you're open with people and, and people can trust you um just all kinds of opportunities come, you know, kind of come your way. It's uh, people want to work with people that they like and trust. I mean, I I, I cannot tell you how many times that I've uh, that I've gotten through to people that you wouldn't think I'd be able to get through to, but just because they trusted me. And um, at the end of the day, like this is, no matter what you're doing, it it is about it is about people and, and um, just being open and being um, I know this. I'm, I'm I'm trying to crystallize this Uh, just, just being, being in a mindset where you're, you're open to new ideas and you're, you're not, you're not judging people, but but more observing them. And again, I'm, I'm working on that myself has has been tremendously helpful because it's, it's, led to kind of partnerships and opportunities and things that I would have never expected. So like, if you ask me, hey, what are the next five years, 10 years from now, I have absolutely no idea. I would have never told you five years ago that I'd be in cannabis, I would have never told you that. So I trying to predict the next five, 10 years, I have absolutely no idea. But like, I've always ended up finding these interesting opportunities and in people just by kind of being vulnerable and out there.
1: No, I love the advice of of observing and not judging. I think the best leaders, uh, they are constantly giving input and it's not judgmental input. It's more like, here's what I'm observing. It's not necessarily that they're rooting themselves like I'm right and you're wrong. It's just, if you're a leader, you're going to tell somebody, hey, this is what I'm observing and this is what I'm seeing. And you give the person an opportunity to make adjustments without feeling, uh, exactly what you said, without feeling judged. Um, Mm -hmm. So tell me about like, what are you curious about now? so now you've 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 seen a lot. we've we, you've you know kind of gone through some some uh, gotten into some industries like you said that you never thought you'd get into. But what are you most curious about now Uh, just in in life and in you know kind of what you're doing professionally, but what are you most curious about these days?
0: yep, yeah. so I would say that i've spent been spending a lot of time over the last few months on I I don't don't like the term mental health because that kind of that term implies that there's something wrong. Um, But just trying to understand this, you know, how much that kind of voice in everyone's head affects affects how we live our lives, Um, and just trying to get that get that voice under control and and understanding that that voice is saying different things all the time and that it's not who you are necessarily. Um, that's been kind of a, that's been a, a a big thing. I, I guess I am, I'm this, at this moment in time, I am kind of being more introspective. There was, there was, there were times where I, I just wanted to go out there, meet as many people, learn as many new industries, you know, whether it be software or cannabis or, Trading or real estate, whatever it is. Right now, I'm kind of, I'm really focused on looking inward um, because I I never have done that. I've never done that. I've always been just looking outward, looking at the next thing, and I've never really taken the time to, um, you know, ask, hey, why am I really? What is what is my true motivation for doing this? And is it going to make me happy? Is it going to actually like if I go and do that next thing, like, if, am I actually going to be happy, or is it going to be just on to the next now? So, like, that's kind of what I'm curious about, uh, and that's what I'm uh, that have been spending a lot of time on.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, I think uh, I think that's a big uh, that's a big step. Um, I recently watched, and uh, hopefully, I don't get us too far off track here. But I, I le- recently watched the Tiger Woods uh, documentary, that did the, t- the two part series, and. Uh, one thing that I've noticed about, and I, I, I'm a big Tiger Woods fan. I I don't know how it's hard not to be, but you start to look at how he was built. He was really built from the outside in his dad built him from the outside in that he was going to be the chosen one on the outside. And uh, I think he, I think he didn't do a lot of introspective work until, you know, later. I think he probably has now because he has has been forced to, but um, it's exactly, you know, kind of as I I was thinking about that, I watched that this past weekend was just, fascinated by how rough it can be if you're hardened on the outside and you don't understand yourself from the inside out. So I think those are uh, uh, very wise words. Um, kind of, uh, go ahead.
0: No, I, was, I was just going to say, no, I, I saw that and I loved it. And I, I feel, I feel the, the exact same way. And, and how few, I'll tell you, my, for, even for myself, like how few people understand what really makes them tick, because they've never even thought about it or like, you know, hey, how do you how do you like to process information? What kind of people do you like to work with? What kind of environment do you like to be in? Like, no, not many people have actually actually spend the time thinking about that. So, and I know I haven't. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to now. You know, there's there's lots of data we have. I have lots of data on what works and what doesn't for me. And so, like, hopefully, you know, I can kind of I can summarize a lot of that and almost like you know, create a handbook for the next things of, uh, you know, what, what is a good situation for myself? What is, what is potential has, has red flags. So that's, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, it totally makes sense. I mean, and then going back to just kind of, you know, you've analyzed a lot of data. It's what you've done to become successful at, at you know, in, in the trading and the different companies you've been with, but you naturally analyze uh, data probably a lot more than most. And that can be a really beneficial unless you overanalyze stuff and then it can be a little excruciating and sometimes, but I think you have a good balance um, from what I can tell. What do you find? Uh, what do you find most challenging? I mean, we're, I'm just kind of digging a little bit, but uh, what do you find most challenging I- at this point in your career? And at, at this point, looking forward.
0: I'll, I'll speak to me personally. So personally right now, what's most challenging is um fighting my own worry about like, Hey, what's next? What's next? What do you want? What are you going to do versus this battle of going out and doing something just for this, you know, the the, the adrenaline of further of, of, of just some kind of accomplishment versus um, Hey, am I, am I being intentional and I'm, and am, am I being, am I doing things just for the sake of doing them or am I doing them to kind of, um,
1: I think it might've froze up again. Oh, there, there we go. There you go. You're back. Sorry, dude. Yep. Okay. All good. <laughs> We, we'll edit it. it'll be fine we'll edit this it'll be it'll be perfectly crystal clear okay
0: uh did did i lose you there or did you did you hear
1: uh no yeah i lost you like like kind of right when you're starting so if, if oh, you...
0: okay oh uh, so i was just talking to myself for a while. okay so i was saying that personally right now the, the biggest challenge is like you know kind of the back and forth I'm, I am having with myself on uh, what's next and what do you, cause there's so much opportunity and I, I'm someone who gets super excited by new opportunities. And there's so much out there, especially, especially within cannabis, there's so much to do. Um, like, you know, going out and doing these things versus taking a little bit of time to figure out, am I, am I being intentional about what I'm doing or am I just doing things for the sake of doing it? So like, that's kind of this, that's, that's what I'm weighing in my own head right now.
1: Gotcha. And is there, um, is there any unpopular opinions that you have? No, it's kind of a, kind of a tricky question, but, uh, um, I'm sure there is, uh, just in general. Yeah. Just in general. Uh,
0: I, I don't know how unpo, I don't know how unpopular this is, but I, I, I think that the, that the education system, the way we have it set up, is broken. Um, I think it was set up, you know, uh, in the last couple of hundred years for a vastly different purpose than what we are what, what, what society has become. Um, so I think we're doing these kids, a lot of kids a disservice. I mean, I I think you mentioned in the beginning that I'm really interested in education reform because I think it's the one kind of equalizer. And while, you know, uh, most of us kind of aspire to believe in the American dream, and that's kind of the, that we all have a, have, have a chance, an equal chance, uh, doesn't mean we're going to have equal outcomes. It just means that we have somewhat of an equal chance and we're just, we're, we're not there because, uh some kids have such a head, uh, a leg up. Frankly, I was one of those kids, uh, have such a leg up, um, that, that, yeah. And, and I, and I, I squarely blame the, the, the kind of the way the educational system is, is set up right now. So I don't know how unpopular that is, but that's,
1: that's kind of, that is my belief. No, I'm glad you jumped on it. Um, I have, uh, I have five kids i have uh, seven, i have three step kids son from a previous marriage and then a two year old so not by me not as traditional family setup is as, as most but uh, mm-hmm. but i'm watching a seventeen a sixteen a fifteen and an eleven year old uh, the eleven year old goes to a private school and, and they've been on campus he, he's been fine and I actually when they they took the aggressive approach of uh, i won't mention the school but they took the aggressive approach of of saying, Hey, we're coming back. It was late in the summer. We're we're coming back on campus this date. They've stuck to that. And, and I've, I've been in awe. Like at first I'm like, I can't believe they're going to stick to this. I thought maybe, you know, some of these private schools, uh, the, the homeschooling thing is kind of threatening or the, you know, the distance learning thing, because not a lot of parents want to pay a ton of money. If the distance learning, isn't going to be better than if they did pay, if they paid nothing. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's a big challenge. I'm watching these kids um, in some shape or form. God bless their teachers. I don't think it's necessarily the teachers' fault, but they're really teaching themselves. And it's it's you know, it's brutal to watch. Um, and as a parent, it's it's really hard. Uh but no, I agree. I'm I'm glad you talked about that. What about what do you like to do? Um, what do you like to, we we've talked a little bit about personal stuff and i and I've I've, mm-hmm. I've heard a little bit of this, but what do you like to do outside the office?
0: So one of my so I, I I do a bunch of random stuff. I uh, love to travel. I love to scuba dive. One, one of the things that I'm intent on doing, learning this year, finally, I, I've done it in fits and starts over the last probably like seven eight years is kite surfing, and um, I'm that's like kind of my goal for this year is to get uh, to be able to consistently ride um, when I when when I get out there. So like that's 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 top of mind right now.
1: Oh man, I love it. I love it. Uh, I actually, I think about that too. I've, I've snowboarded a lot, grew up skateboarding um, and, you know, kite surfing, wait, wake, I've wakeboarded, do a lot of wake surfing this summer. So I've always wanted to go, I want to go to like a, uh, an adult kite surfing camp. I don't know if they do this in like hood Oregon, but, uh, but I'm with you. I'll probably take this offline with you.
0: They do. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, come, come down to Miami. They have these things all the time.
1: Oh, they do. Yeah. I'll have to check. Yeah. in. It's one of those, it's one of my uh, kind of bucket items list. So Speaking of that, so I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and um, I'll speed things up. This is more of a kind of a rapid fire question. If you want to pass on a question, pass and move to the next question. No big deal. Um, okay. What's a book that you've read more than once?
0: Oh, man. Um, I don't really read books more than one, but uh, here's one. old, old man in the sea. Hemingway. Got it. I okay. just recently read it
1: again. Love it. Love it. What's your, what's your favorite song?
0: I, I I don't think I can narrow it down because it depends on the mood uh, <laughs> I'm in. That's such a hard one. But but I'll I'll say this: I'll, I love all like classic stuff. I'm like I'm an old man when it comes to this. I don't I, I don't really listen to much of the new stuff.
1: Uh, you're you're we're I think I'm a little bit older than you. So when you say uh, classic stuff, I think we're, we're probably t- talking about the, t- the, t- the same type of stuff. What's your favorite word? That's a, a odd question, but.
0: you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a word that I use a lot, um, it action, but it's, uh, and, and I, and I don't mean it just in the sense of, of like, you know, getting up and doing something like we used to use it in the sense of allocating risk as a, in, in the hedge fund. And so, yeah, I, I guess I, I use that word a lot. So I'm let's, uh, I'll, I'll say that's my favorite word.
1: Got it. Aside from the kite surfing, what's something else you hmm. want to check off your bucket list?
0: I want to, uh, dive the Great Barrier Reef in Australia.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I've had the pleasure of being there and flying over it. It is an amazing sight for sure. If you could teach, and this kind of goes back to your, uh, the education, but if you could teach one subject to school children, what would it be?
0: I think it goes back to what I was talking about the, on the, on the mental fitness stuff, you know, mental fitness. We, you know, we, we're taught that if we practice anything, we can be good at it, right? Playing the piano or shooting free throws, but like nobody ever, you never talk about, you never talk about like, you know, like I said, that that little head, that little voice talking to you all day, every day. Nobody ever nobody ever kind of uh, sits you down and tells you, lets you know like, hey, what, uh, you know, how, how should I interact with this person? So I, I, I think there'd be tremendous value in uh, teaching kids about, about mental fitness and about how there's there's ups and downs in life, and that's all it's all part of being human it's normal there's nothing wrong with you
1: I agree I agree I've got this coach uh he's it's called an emotional wellness coach It's basically a psychologist that I've gone through some stuff with anyway's mm-hmm. a question he's like hey how often did your did your dad or your parents talk to you about you know your emotions about how you felt and you know, he kind of says it joking around. Cause when you think about it, I mean, maybe your parents might be different, but not a lot of parents, uh, you know, that were their age talk to us about, you know, how are you feeling? Can you describe your feelings? What are your emotions? And when you get older, it's kind of what you got to get good at doing and, and really modeling for, for other people. But, uh, going back to the travel, uh, where's the, where's the, the favorite place you've ever traveled to and uh, why?
0: You know, again, this is a, I, I, to sound like Kappa, but it's like a song. It's like, it all depends on the, you can go to an amazing place and it's raining and you're with people you don't like and you're miserable. And then you can go to some little town in, you know, in in Ohio and you're with a bunch of people and it's an amazing day, you have a great time. So I will say a uh, favorite trip, just because it was just an amazing trip, was uh, we went a, a, a couple friends of mine went on a scuba diving trip to Curacao right off the coast of uh, Venezuela and that the the Dutch Island in the Caribbean. And that was an amazing
1: trip. Oh, that sounds amazing. All right. Well um, anything else, uh, you know, one thing I want to just kind of end with is uh, I'll give you the last word to just kind of hear if you have anything else that you want to share with the audience, but if you could change one thing about the world right now, what would it be? I know we talked about some social justice and some education stuff, but uh, anything along in that realm, or is there anything else that you, if you wanted to, ch- uh, if you could change one thing, what would it be? I think
0: it would be, um, not making everything so binary. I mean, I know, I know this, this, uh, kind of leads right into the the cur- the kind of polarization of politics, but it's bigger than that. It's like, I feel like we've, as a society have gone to, Hey, if, xyz thing is good then not xyz thing is inherently bad and anything but that is bad and like that's just not the case like there, like there's so many shades it's not just a one or a zero there's there it's not just black or white there's so many shades of gray in every little thing um and so i just i i wish there was more acceptance of of uh you know of of of, things along the spectrum versus just good or bad and um, kind of further polarization. But, but I understand why we're here and I, it doesn't, it doesn't sell, it does, it's not good for ratings. It doesn't sell clicks on the internet. So I get why we're here, but like if that was the one thing I would change, that would, that would be it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. No, I agree. I agree. The extremist extremists in general, I'm not picking sides, but extremists in general I think have pulled us from really, at finding some sort of middle ground, but uh, all right. Well, this has been the Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen, brought to you by Wise Scouts, where we hire purpose-driven and performance-proven leaders. I'm going to leave the last word to Vinay. Vinay, what uh, what's the last thing you want to share with our audience? And uh, and and that'll be it. I appreciate your time. It's been awesome talking to you. I look forward to keeping track of uh, where you go from here. But uh, let's let's leave the last word to you.
0: Thank you, Max. I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful to be here. incredibly grateful to be here. I'm, uh, you know, I'm blessed and uh, it's been amazing talking with you and uh, yeah, looking forward to the future. Thanks for listening to the Built On Purpose podcast, where on each episode we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7
1: right here on Star Worldwide Networks or wherever you get your podcasts.